Hey everyone, Matt Wakeling here. You are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Today we are back to Iconic Albums number three. Now this is a show where I speak to my friends Rob Rhodes and Gabor Jessica and we talk about guitar records that influenced and impacted our lives in a guitar sense. Today we are talking Red Hot Chili Peppers. That's coming up real soon. This episode is brought to you by The Pedal Movie, a feature-length film all about effects pedals created by the Music Gear Marketplace Reverb. I am super excited about this film. The Pedal Movie features nearly 100 interviews with people like Steve Vai, Peter Frampton, Jay Mascus, Billy Corgan, and more, including some of our Guitar Speak podcast alumni like Dweezil Zappa, Sarah Lipstate, Johnny Barmer, and Brian Wampler. Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play, and Vudu. For more information, visit www.thepedalmovie.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott. Now, Joe is not only a fantastic guitar player, he draws on his years of experience as the ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and also at the McNally Smith Music College. Here's a few words from Joe about the course. You're tired of wading through hundreds of random guitar videos and just want to become a better player. Fretboard Biology is your answer. Fretboard Biology is a self-paced, college-level program that will give you the right instruction, in the right amounts, and in the right order. You'll learn the same information I taught to thousands of other guitar players over 30 years of teaching in top music colleges. If you want to make real progress with your guitar playing, then sign up for a free seven-day trial at fretboardbiology.com. All right, welcome back everyone to Iconic Albums number three. Week one, we had Satri Ani. Week two, talk some Clapton, and now we're up some Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'm joined by Rob Rhodes. Yeah, we haven't been cancelled yet. <laughs> Any moment now. <laughs> and that's Gabor Jessica. Hey, Matt. Hey, Rob. Hello, hey, everyone. Great to see you guys. Awesome. We're going to continue on. Today, it is Blood Sugar Sex Magic by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Gabor, you brought this record to our attention. Yes. Do you want to kick us off? Sure. So, uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, a uh, little backstory, right, with Blood Sugar Sex Magic. So, Blood Sugar Sex Magic came out on September 24th, 1991. And on September 23rd, 1991, I turned 13. So, it was the album of my teens. Perfect <laughs> that, timing. And actually, Nevermind came out on the 24th of September 1991 as well. So, they both came out on the same day. Wow. And they're yeah. probably the two albums that for me personally, made me want to play guitar and probably shaped me more than any other album. So that's sort of the oh, albums. So that's the backstory. Uh, so that's sort of one of the reasons why I picked it because I thought it's it really is a, um, it's an album that kind of made me want to play guitar, really. Wow, awesome. Yeah. So it was released uh, 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 in, September, like I said, September 24th, 1991. It was at the time one of the biggest, most expensive record deals ever, uh, and that was because um, they used to be signed to EMI. Their contract ran out. 
that decided not to renew with EMI, and they actually signed with Sony, but then they met some of the guys from Warner Brothers, and they liked them as people so much that they wanted to go and sign with Warner Brothers. So Warner Brothers actually bought them out of the Sony contract before they ever did anything with Sony. Oh, wow. Which ended up being quite an expensive thing to do. But it, yes, it was at the time one of the most expensive albums uh, or record deals because of that. Cool. And one of the stipulations was to give them total artistic freedom, which they did. Um, in those days, Warner Brothers, uh, with a few bands, like where you... Some other albums that I might want to talk about in the future, like Mr. Bungle, for example, who was on yeah, yeah. Warner Brothers, gave them complete uh, artistic freedom, let them do whatever they wanted. And they wanted a producer who was um, very open-minded. So through a friend, they met Rick Rubin, uh, mm-hmm. who, I mean, if you into music, you probably would have heard of Rick Rubin before. Yeah, He's sort yeah. of one of the, the biggest producers started a label called Def Jam back in the days and, you know, Beastie Boys. And, and I think one of the one of the things they liked about him, he was very, um, he was sort of all over the place. He did hip hop, he did, but then he also did Slayer. Uh, you know, he yeah, recorded Slayer yeah, albums. He recorded, I mean, anything, Tom Petty, Johnny Cash. He was one of the guys behind the Run DMC Aerosmith collaboration uh, and Walk This Way. So, you know, he was quite, he did quite a lot. He was quite open-minded. They wanted to work with him. They didn't want to work in a studio, so he suggested, let's go into a big mansion in Hollywood and live there and record there. Which, by the way, after the, they recorded that album, he uh, Rick Rubin ended up buying that mansion okay, um, and turned it into a studio called The Mansion. And um, hang on, I wrote it down. Like, There's heaps of stuff that was written, that was recorded there. So uh, he had wow. like uh, Mars Volta, Audio Slave, Slipknot, Jay-Z, System of a Down, Maroon 5, Linkin Park. They all recorded at that house and lived at that house, cool. which was his studio in the end. Purchased from um, probably the points from the uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic money. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Uh, there would have been a bit of money, I'd say, could <laughs> for, for them. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so that, that's that's sort of the, the, the story I kind of started anyway. And, and um, I don't know. Should I go on? What about the house being haunted, mate? Uh, that's well, okay, so there's the story that the house is being haunted. And um, actually, another thing about the house, it was uh, owned at one stage by Errol Flynn. Wow. It was an Australian sort of, you know, in the in the 30s, like Australian-born Hollywood star. He, yeah. he lived there for a while and he owned it for a while. And it was apparently haunted. Um, and the story goes that Chad Smith, the drummer, never stayed there and slept there because he was worried about the ghosts. But John Frusciante, the guitarist, said he he hangs out with the ghosts all the time. They're really friendly and they're really nice. <laughs> Frusciante, man, he, he's oh, trippy man. dude. I watched. Have you guys ever watched uh, Funky Monks? I started watching it um, last night, but I didn't get through it. But uh, yeah, just man, what a space cadet that guy was. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> some of the stuff. If you're underage, don't watch it. But okay, uh, man, some of the stuff he says. He's creatives. They're weird people. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's on fire on this record. Um, it, it's it's such a killer album. It's it's yeah. it really is to me. It's it's the album that sort of led me towards, you know, funk and 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 R and B that sort of kind of style of music. And and his playing is and Flea as well. Their playing is just insanely good. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, they're really on the rise here too because they've just uh, they're off the back of Mother's Milk, which has got. 
Um, yep. You know, they're climbing. They're climbing their ladder through that record. So they're just, we're about to hit maximum chili peppers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that album, uh, uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, ended up selling about 14 and a half or so million albums, roughly. Wow. Um, it was actually, it's not the biggest album. It's the second biggest album. Um, California was the yeah. biggest album, the next album. Okay. Uh, but I think that sold over 20 million, that one. But um, yeah, they, they and they, I think one of the things they, they didn't like about Mother's Milk and the way Mother's Milk was recorded and the whole tour and everything, they they weren't sort of allowed to do what they wanted to do. They always had the label and producers sort of tell okay. them. They apparently were really unhappy about the way Mother's Milk turned out because it was they were trying to get them to be heavier less funky but right, more right. distorted guitars which is kind of the thing at the time yeah and they didn't really want to do that so they wanted to and so one of the ideas with that album was to completely strip it down um and and try to keep it as simple as possible to the point where actually a lot of the guitar tracks you hear on the album are uh, him just going straight into the console wow um he he because a lot of it's just clean guitar yeah, yeah. Uh, and a lot of it is him just going straight into the console. Uh, he did use a bunch of Marshall amps too. Uh, and that's also the album where he got into using two amps. So uh, since that album, um, John Frusciante always live used uh, usually two Marshall amps. And he said okay. one is for the punch and one is for the, um, the the top end, right? So one's the bottom end, one's the top end. Right. So he, on that album, uh, some of the tracks he used actually a Marshall bass amp for the um, bottom end. And then different other like guitar amps, like a um, JSM 800 and a, a Marshall Major and I think a Plexi, like a JTM 45 type of thing as well, uh, but mixed them sort of together. Okay. Um, and there was, I think Rick Rubin turned him onto that as well. He also awesome, used man. a little um, solid state combo for overdubs, apparently a Fender Hot. Fender Hot, yeah. H-O-T. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And there's with a, the, I read with the just, full stops in between. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I read yesterday in an, uh, a guitar uh, world or guitar player, one of those um, um, articles from that year, and he said when they hooked it up and they had a big Marshall stack hooked up, he liked the sound of the little Fender better. Right. So he ended up using it for a lot of the overdubs. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Why so not? apparently, a big chunk of what you hear on the album is is that little amp, or just going directly into the into the the clean stuff into the console. Um, and then, uh, for guitars, he used, uh, I think that's when he got into vintage strats mostly. Okay. And he used, so, and there's, cause I know the notes you sent, uh, it's a, it's a 58. Yeah. There's a couple of, um, contrary stories because as as that goes, it was a Rosewood fretboard and Fender didn't introduce that at 59. So yeah. it was either a later one or the neck was swapped out. He also had apparently a 57, uh, Strat, uh, with uh, the, he didn't like the frets on it, so he ripped the frets out and used it as a fretless guitar and recorded a couple of um songs, a couple of bits on some of the songs, fretless. Wow. Um, yeah. So and, and fifty-seven Strat. I mean, back then it was maybe a different story, but nowadays, holy moly, ripping frets out of fifty-seven Strat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We just saw there that. Goes- just saw the zeros. yeah. Just saw the norms <laughs> the norms guitar video with that uh, with the fifty five that had been route, well, re- where it was routed yeah for yeah, the I pickups that, yeah. to be backwards. And we had a like little discussion. What was it because a left hander played it? Was yeah. was he a Hendrix nut 
right-handed a Hendrix nut or when the guy or girl who refinished it put it back together, put the pickups in backwards, couldn't get it to fit and then just routed it out so they could get the pick guard back on. <laughs> I'd like to think it was the last one. Some guys, they're going, why won't this pick guard go back on? Oh, there's too much wood here. Just Let's just out. cut that yeah, out yeah. and put it back uh, on. <laughs> and it was a really dodgy job. You could see too. It wasn't oh, done very it was well. Bad. Yeah, it was that sort of honey burst kind of looking... Wasn't yeah, because it'd been like a refinished. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> that's classic. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, back in those days, uh, yeah, things were a little bit different to now. But <laughs> absolutely. Well, so um, it's like yeah. So 30... anyway, so he's most sorry. Echo. I was gonna say thirty years old. This record, it's it's aged pretty well. It has. Yeah, I think it it sort of stood the test of time because it again because I think they didn't really kind of. You couldn't pigeonhole it for that era. It wasn't. It didn't fit into that era. It made its own sort of space for that era. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, no. It's it, to me, it's just one of those albums that just. Um, uh, it, uh, there's very few albums from that era that I can that I still listen to. From you know, when I was that was that age. Mm. Uh, even Nevermind is an album I don't really listen. I don't. I, I prefer In Utero actually much. Like if you, we're talking Nirvana. Okay. But that was, uh, I think that was actually, um, so backstory again, I turned 13 in September uh, 91. I think Christmas 1991, my parents bought me my first CD player. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the first CD I bought was Blood Sugar Sex Magic. So I think that was the very first CD I've ever bought. And I still have it, the same one. And I nice. still listen to it. Nice. Radio, they were, they were everywhere. Still hard to miss it if you listen to Triple M. Yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was also the uh, that film clip, the um, the Under the Bridge film clip. Yeah, yeah. It sort of started my my love for Offset guitars because I oh, love the yeah. look of that Jaguar. So the yes. Jaguar on there is, a, is it looks blue, but it's actually Sherwood green. It's a Sherwood okay. green um, sixty two, I think. Sixty six. Well, here we go again. Disputes about that as yeah. well. Um, <laughs> Oh yeah, no, yeah. So some people say sixty-two, some people say sixty-six because they didn't do Sherwood Green until later. But yeah, so sixty-two, sixty-six Sherwood Green Jaguar, which and this is kind of funny as well. It's it it now lives at a hard rock cafe somewhere, um, and they asked John Frusciante how it ended up there, and he has no idea because <laughs> after the whole so ninety-two after the, he was they were touring the the album and they were in Tokyo. And he just, he was, he lost it. He kind of went a bit crazy and he pretty much didn't want to go on stage, but the band kind of talked him into going on stage. And apparently he sort of just stood in the corner in the, in the sort of shadows, almost off stage, played the show and then disappeared and went into this massive drug and, uh, and craze and probably meant like some, you know, mental issues as well. And most of the gear that he had, that he got um, during that time, all these vintage strats and everything, he kind of hocked for for drugs and stuff, and didn't know where they went and how they got where they went. And so apparently, he has no idea how that ended up in the Hard Rock Cafe, but it's there. Uh-huh. Uh, and he somehow he he apparently gave it to Hard Rock Cafe, but he has no idea when that happened or how that happened. So that's all. <laughs> it's a blur. Full on, man. That guitar looks yeah. awesome in that clip, and it looks so good. Yeah. 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 I don't know if many people were, were play, playing uh, Jags then. I mean, Sonic Youth, those guys were playing the, yeah. the Offsets, uh, Dinosaur Jr. Um, yeah, well, he, Dinosaur Jr. was ja- uh, Jazz Masters. 
But okay. Kurt Cobain as well, Nirvana. He just put humbuckers sure. in it, but he had yeah, yeah. he had his famous Jaguar. And so that yeah, that sort of started my love for offsets, and I always nice. wanted one since then. Even even though I didn't play guitar for another few years, but um, I always wanted one of those. Yeah, amazing. Hey, funny you mentioned the Japan meltdown. Um, I was I had tickets to see them. I think it must have been around '93. It was that tour, um, and obviously the the dates were moved. And then um, they came a year or so later, or maybe less than a year, and they had a Rick Marshall on guitar. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I didn't pre-internet. I didn't even know who was going to play guitar. I knew it wasn't John Frusciante, um, which I was a bit bummed out about. Um, but Marshall was he was he was great. He, you know, not the same as no, not the same no. deal. But he he did a great job, and um, it was it was a killer show. Early '90s Chili Peppers live was. Full on, man. When they were still young enough to, I mean, they. I saw them later on uh, for the. I think it was for the California um, or Californication, sorry, yep. um, album. Um, and they were still going at it pretty hard. But yeah, I guess as as you get older, it's it's probably getting harder and harder for them to to. But yeah, crazy. They really went into you know got into the shows. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, yeah, Flea was still in his underpants phase, and <laughs> yeah. Well, I saw them again in 2000, and he had pants by then. But um, yeah, oh. Flea's in his undies. Um, they, they had two guitar roadies slash backup vocalists just on the side of the stage shirtless, just going bonkers. Who are these guys? And then they'd step up to these mics on the side and sing the backing vocals for whatever it was, and then they'd grab a guitar and change some strings and swap guitars out, and they were just general hands. Uh, they were amazing. So um Oh, and the encore, they, they all came out with the flamethrower helmets, um, shooting the flames out, doing yeah. whatever they were doing. It was great. It was killer. But then when yeah. I saw them in, in 2000, I think it was, big day out, Frisch Gandhi's back in the band. He's looking healthy and happy in the band, and um, they just killed it, man. It was so yeah. good. I mean, he's such a vital part to that band. I mean, he writes most of the songs. Um but yeah, he's he, he's an absolutely massively vital part. Let's take a break, and we'll come back and talk about tracks and specific stuff. Awesome. I hope you are enjoying today's interview. Now, this podcast is brought to you by The Pedal Movie, a feature-length film all about effects pedals created by the music gear Mark Place Reverb. Now, you know we love guitar pedals here on the Guitar Speak podcast, and we're super excited on the release of this film. The Pedal Movie explores how effects pedals and their builders have shaped modern music and guitar playing over time, from the fuzz pedal experiments of the Rolling Stones and Jimi Hendrix, through the shoegaze and indie rock of the 90s, and up to the modern day use of effects. Reverb also speaks with builders and leaders from more than 50 pedal brands to answer the big question, how did guitar pedals get so big? Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play and Voodoo. For more info, check out thepedalmovie.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by master guitar teacher Joe Elliott. Now, I was a beta tester for the course, and as a music educator myself, I was very impressed by the logical layout and format of the course. Heavyweight guitarists such as Brett Garsett and Greg Koch have also endorsed the program, so check it out at www.fretboardbiology.com. Okay, back to our interview. 
Alright, welcome back. Gabor, you want to lead us through some tracks or favourite song stuff? Yeah, okay. So for me, um, again, it's sort of kind of the one song that's really quite different on the album, but Breaking the Girl was always one of my favourite tracks on that album. The yeah, film clip yeah. too, very psychedelic. Yeah. And that's got Eric Marshall actually in it as well, that he's in the film clip to that too. I think that's the only film clip he's in. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Because um, I think they did um, Suck My Kiss was off from taken from the Funky Monks um, compilation, like, you know, cutouts. Yeah, from the that. house, yeah. The house in, when they're in that mansion. And the other film clips uh, for Scouts, it was still in the band. So um, okay. I think that was the only clip from that album that, that didn't have him in it and Rick Marshall was in it. But that's, yeah, that, I love that song. That Just that trail string guitar. It, it, I always tried to work out how to play it, never could. Mm-hmm. And then I realized it's an E flat. All you got to do is tune the guitar uh, to E flat and okay. then it's, it works. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've what all. About, what about done you guys? Um, for me, I look. I'm I'm going to take your seat, Gabor, as far as this record goes, and I'll put my hand up and say that last night was the first time I'd ever listened to this record through from start to finish. Oh, cool. Um, obviously, like I've been on job sites my whole life, working. My old man's a brickie, so I worked for a lot of years as a brickie's labourer, and the Triple M playlist. <laughs> was suck my kiss, breaking the girl under the bridge, give it away. Yeah. So like, heard them all the time and yeah. played in cover bands and and have done those songs before. And a good friend of mine used to be in a Chili Pepper show, as I know you used to be as well, Gabor. Briefly, yes, yeah. I was, yes. So um, for me at that time, ninety two, I was rebelling against the new stuff, the coming out of Seattle and um the heavier stuff. So I was more a living color fan actually at this time. So uh, me, me, um, me too, me too, me too. And it's, and I, if you, if you're not a young person full of, um, you know, vim and vigor, let's say, uh, you would have made the connection of how close this record and living color, like it's that yeah. rock funk metal thing. Um, so for me, long story short, um, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic stands out for me because it's just that it's a heavy riffing guitar. It's pocket, it's groove, you know. Yeah. It's all that yeah. sort of stuff that um, I really, really, really dig. Um, but yeah, I had the same, a similar situation with Breaking the Girl, trying to learn that from, it was a tab in Guitar Magazine. Which was so wrong. I know. It was like, <laughs> this doesn't seem right. Who, who, yeah. who, this isn't right. Cause it had a, didn't they have an alternate tuning or something as well? It wasn't just E flat. It was like, you got to tune your guitar like, a, yeah, and with a capo. Dad Gat or well, something. On like weird. the fourth fret or something like that. It was really weird. But yeah, all you got to do is tune to E flat and it's all like A chords basically. Yeah. And apparently they only played <laughs> it live once, the first show of the tour, and it was a complete train wreck and they never performed it live again. Okay. Wow. They sell it just. They said it just fell to pieces, and they never can, played it again. It's. Wow. It's. I, I can imagine it'd be a difficult song to pull off live. But um, the outtakes. So the outtakes from the album, when you get the deluxe, um, where they covered a couple of Hendrix songs, which are two yeah. of my favorite Hendrix songs, "Little Miss Lover" and "Castles Made of Sand," and um, yeah, both of those are. Well, they do a great cover, like "Higher Ground." Uh, that was killer, yeah. yeah that was yeah. A killer, yeah. so good, and um, that was a staple in everyone's cover set for a while there. 
And then Soul to Squeeze is actually an outtake from that as well. Great song, not yeah. know that. That's that probably another... my favorite. Sorry, what was that, Matt? Oh, that's probably my favorite Chili song. I didn't know it was an outtake from this record. Yeah. Yeah, it was It was, It was. was like a B-side. And then they released it for that Coneheads movie. Yeah, wow. And it actually became one of their best charting songs, Yeah, I think. Yeah. And then I obviously, I think, I, I love One Hot Minute. Like, I love Dave Navarro. And I thought that that album got me into the Chili Peppers. So okay. um, very different because I wasn't a Navarro fan before that. I wasn't a Jane's Addiction fan. It was just that uh, okay. I'm one of those weird guys that likes Metallica's Load and Reloader. Uh, I Reloaded. Do I do too. I do too. Uh, I like all the albums that the fans hate and the fans hate One Hot Minute. I love it. I don't know it's funny. Do they even, they even um, 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 recently they started playing a few songs, but they refused to even play any songs off One Hot Minute live. Yeah. They didn't even want to do it. Well, and, I've, and heard, I, I've heard for has refused to listen to that album ever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's not going to learn the songs. I do think it's a really good album. I do think it's it's very underrated. Um, uh-huh. um, but I, I do still think Blood Sugar Sex Magic, that's their, it, for me, that was their peak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Man, for me, I mean, there's, there's heaps of stuff I love on the record. Give it away. I mean, yeah, it is it is smashed out day in, day out on uh, commercial radio still, but it's just a killer song, man. The, um the little chromatic guitar lines in the verse that Frischiani chucks in, that bow, 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 yeah, all that yeah. kind of just wacky stuff. And the, the two backwards guitar solos. Oh, great. Yeah, that is great. <laughs> it's it's already that. quirky, and then he goes backwards. Yeah, yeah it's just yeah, it yeah. just rules. Just over that thunderous backbeat and, and flea yeah. riffing out. It's, it's super cool. Um, I really like Funky Monks because in the chorus, there's some nice chord movements. Like a lot of a lot of stuff on this record, um, except for the more ballady things, but all the up stuff, it's it's often just a one or two chord vamp, yeah, which they rule, which they dominate that stuff. But I, I loved hearing kind of those those cool chord changes in um, in the Funky Monks chorus. That was fun, and there's a blazing wah solo on that tune. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. For all the indie loose guitar stuff, like when he when he wants to put his foot down it. He makes it work, so that's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, what else? Oh, Spanish Castle, that cover. Yeah, Spanish Castle's made of sand because it's not just Frischiani doing the Hendrix, those hammer-on chord things. It's um, Flea doubling a lot of that as well, which is yeah. super yeah. cool. Great, so great. And that wah that um, people might be surprised to know that it's uh, Ibanez WH10. Yeah. So no crybaby, no... You know, no. none of the usual Vox things or whatever. I yeah, right. <laughs> and he still he still uses it. Like that's still that's the only one. And and uh, there is a um, uh, rig rundown, like premier guitar rig rundown. Uh-huh. I think it was with George Klinghoffer. Uh, but uh, you okay, know, so when Frusciante wasn't in the band. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's such an integral sound. He has to use that same wire as well. I bet. Um, and apparently it breaks like every second gig because they're really flimsy plastic ones. It's plastic, yeah. But because because Frusciante has gone sort of, he's gotten sort of quite a cult following um, yeah, yeah, as yeah. a guitar player. Yeah. Those have gotten ridiculously expensive. Really? <laughs> the original ones. Because the reissues crazy. apparently sound completely different. Right. So um, you need the 90s so It one. has a really particular sweep. 
that that you don't get out of any other wah pedal. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, they break. Apparently, you step on it a little bit too much, and it's broken. <laughs> How crazy is Frischgaudi's pedal board in Californication era? Yeah, and later on, it's get, it got massive. Yeah. I mean, in, in Blood Sugar Sex Magic, he literally all he had was a chorus, and he mainly used that to split the signal into the two amp. Okay. And a DS2 distortion and a yeah. wah. And that wah, that's pretty much all he had in those days. And then, and especially in Stadium Arcadium days, it turned into yeah, yeah. this massive, like, I don't know, 10 meter long thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's great. Everyone needs a pedal board like that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally, man. I think a patch lead's not working. Which one? I don't know. Don't worry about it. <laughs> The guitar tech will deal with it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, again, I th- actually, that's in that same rig rundown. The, okay. Um, the um, uh, guitar tech, who used to be John Frusciante's guitar tech as well, yep. he built a special thing where uh, it's sort of a every pedal is plugged into a. It's almost like a switcher, but not a switcher. Okay. But if if you instantly know when a patch lead or a pedal get, gets uh, is down, and you can with a flick of a switch, you take that pedal out of the loop. Right, right, okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, because there's so many pedals, because a ridiculous yeah. amount of stuff that they were using. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I know. I mean, this is going to a different album, but in the Stadium Academy days, uh, Frusciante was actually using uh, modular synthesizers. Okay. Running his guitar through modular synthesizers for some of the stuff, and wow. Then he got a lot of those Moog, uh, Mogafoga pedals. Yeah, I remember that. Mogafoga pedals to try and recreate that sound live. Full on, man. Full on. Yeah. And he's back in the band now. Is that true? Yeah, so he they kicked Josh Klinghoffer out uh, just before COVID, right? Uh, because he wanted to be he left because he sort of didn't want to do the touring thing anymore. Yeah, um, and then he decided he wanted to be back in a band, and right. they just went, "Yep," and kicked Josh Klinghoffer out. Right, right. <laughs> Which wasn't the nicest thing to do. Well, I heard an interview with Josh, and he said he kind of knew it was going on. Yeah, and there was always kind of an agreement. It ended up being ten years that he was in the band. Yeah, almost yeah. to the day he said. I forget yeah. what you know, he he was either on, he might have been on Bill Burr's podcast or or Mark Marin or something like that, and yeah, he was like yeah. really cool about it. He was just yeah, like, yeah. you know, that's that's the business, and I always knew I was just filling in, and he would come back. And I mean, he was the main songwriter for the band, really. I yeah. mean, he wrote pretty much everything from Blood Sugar Sex Magic, well, minus one hot minute, but you know, everything up until Stadium Arcadium. He was the main sort of brains behind the band really and you know you could see that they were successful whenever he was in a band and less successful whenever he was not in a band mm. so yeah. i guess it's a smart move on their behalf to kind of go you know what let's get him back in a band and because he's such a massive cult following so i yeah, think a lot of yeah. people will listen to chili pepper stuff again because he's in the band again yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yep that old renaissance thing yeah you know yeah that's it um i got a couple of cool little stories that come out of this um era of the chili peppers okay so touring when they went on tour um i think Ketis heard um smashing pumpkins on mtv or something said right we want them as our support so they went out and secured the smashing pumpkins and then at that time jack irons was playing in pearl jam who had played in the chili peppers earlier um, rang up Ketis and said, oh, can my new band Pearl Jam come and do the support? So then they did the support um, as well for the first leg of the tour. And then there was a falling out somewhere 
amongst the Smashing Pumpkins and, and might have been a girlfriend or something or other. And the Chili Peppers picked up the phone to Dave Grohl and said, would Nirvana like to come and jump on the tour? And it ended up the Chili Peppers, Pearl Jam and Nirvana on the Blood Sugar Sex Magic Tour. Like crazy. Man. I think it was actually... Uh, um, um, Killer. Uh, because... Uh, 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 Billy Corgan used to date Courtney Love. That's right, yeah. That's what it was, yeah. 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 And they wanted off because Nirvana were coming on board or something. Were coming on because they were like the big thing, yeah. 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 But imagine that thing. for a tour. Like, that's, a, that's a tour to go wow. and watch, yeah. That's, that's insanely good. I mean, that's the 90s in a nutshell in one show. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's all you need. That's all you need. A couple of boy bands on the way home, play the CD, <laughs> you've done the whole thing. Bit of Backstreet Boys, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Hey, Gabor, killer record. Thanks for bringing it along. And, uh, cool. man, anything, any final words on, um, on the, the RHCPBSSM record? <laughs> There's a lot of letters there. It's almost yeah. as long as someone's, uh, podcast, YouTube channel. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, no, uh, just, just, just have a listen to it. There's a lot of, uh, as a guitar player, um, I think it, it's a lot of, a lot of the stuff, if you just listen to it at, first glance it's sort of understated but if you really listen to the, some of the stuff he plays it's really different out there guitar playing um but it just works so well with the song so i think it's it's if if you people out there haven't listened to it um check some of the stuff out and and try to find the bits where he uses a fretless guitar um because once you know it and you know which song it is in i think uh, he's in mellowship slinky b in b minor b major b major yeah B major, B minor. That's B for major. the kids to work um, it out at you, home. One, once you listen to it, um, you kind of go, ah, that's a fretless guitar. Okay, of course it is. Yeah. So you, you hear these bits once you kind of know. Ah. So yeah, so just check out the album. I think it's a, a killer album. That's awesome. Hey, that just still on that track then, I actually wrote down Mellow Ship Slinky B popped clean guitars. Like he's popping it. Like, yeah. like a bass player. Yeah. So that's yeah. the fretless. I think there could be the fretless, yeah. A, a, a parts in that. Well, anyway, there's parts in that. I think there's a there's a, a a little bit. Yeah, he pops it and slides on it. Yeah, you can hear it. I yeah, think that's the bit you're weird. talking about. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fretless bit. And then he played. Is it on that song? He played a um, apparently for the intro. Was it for the intro of that? No, Righteous and the Wicked. The intro. He used a, a Coke bottle to play okay. a slide bit. Sure. As you so there's interesting things, you know. There's, there's just just check it out. Yeah. Awesome. Just a just a little um. Little sidebar here. This is episode three, and I think one thing that this album does that the other two that we've spoken about so far, Surfing with the Alien and Layla and Assorted Love Songs, is that this album stands up. Like it still sounds really fresh. Yeah, yeah. The production, yep. yeah. like everything sounds good, and none of this needs to be reinvented. Whereas we talked about, you know, on surfing with the alien that we like the live versions you yeah. matt and i like the live versions yeah. of the songs so that had to be sort of reinvented because it sounds dated and then clapton reinvented layla because that kind of sounds a little bit dated that album too like it sounds very 70s it is, but yeah. this could this album could come out today yeah and and stand up like with any record that's being released at the moment so yeah, very true yeah yeah good it's call. just an observation of the first three albums we've looked at 
Yeah. yeah, awesome. Well, guys, it's been so fun as usual. I can't wait to do some more records. But uh, my big thanks to Rob Rhodes of That 70s Show and plenty of other gigs. And uh, Gabor Jessica from the, I've written it down, <laughs> super fun, awesome, happy time, pedal show. Woohoo! Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks, fellas. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Thank Rob. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Gabor. All right, there you go. Red Hot Chili Peppers talk with Rob and Gabor. Hey, my apologies to Rob. He doesn't play in that 70s show. He plays in Living in the 70s. Links in the show notes. Sorry about that. Hey, thanks so much for joining me. We've got more iconic albums episodes coming up, talking about albums by Stevie Ray Vaughan, Deep Purple, and Primus. Good times. And, of course, there's a whole bunch of interviews being posted all the time on the Guitar Speak podcast. The most recent was with Brian Canham of Pseudo Echo, and that was a super fun conversation. So if you haven't heard that yet, check it out. You're going to love it. All right, time for me to go. Thanks again for tuning in. My name's Matt Wakeling. You've been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. And in the words of Michael Schenker, keep on rocking. Okay, catch you next time. Bye now.